path. My work is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. I not forget your love for me and yet my heart forever is wandering. Jesus be my guide, hold to your side, and I will love you to the end. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. A lamp to my look and a light unto my path. As long as you are near, please be near me to the end. A lamp to my feet. And a light unto my path. My word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. And a light unto my path. Light unto my I think I was supposed to do that. So, Okay, at this time we'll dismiss the children. Go be educated. Well, Mr. Charlie and Mr. Charlie and Mr. Arden. Brother Arden. Sister Charlie and Brother Arden. Arden is Sister Arden. I'm coming. All right. I'm just going to leave that sit there for a minute. Uh, if anyone wants to watch some more fun illustrations, if there's time at the end, you're welcome to. But we do have uh, snack cakes and cookies and punch. I remember to make punch in the cafeteria. Okay. So I need some up. Chalky, I'll be handing these out. Yeah, I had it. It's here. I'll put it on a second. Uh, yep. I'll just take half this stack and do half the room. I'll do that. There's three pages each. It'll go fast, don't you worry.
There's as many more as anybody needs if you need them. Okay. All right. So if you didn't figure it out already, we are talking about handling anger constructively. Mine has a cool picture of a guy who is blowing up, basically. Uh, talking about handling anger constructively. All right. Uh, I don't know where my Bible. There's a Bible right here. I got you. There's a Bible right here. Okay. Oh, there's my Bible. I found it. Okay, can you hear me now? Like the Verizon guy, can you hear me now? He'll he'll live on forever. Did you know he got a job with another company eventually? Yeah, he went to Sprint, yeah. Just so he could make fun of Verizon. Okay, so. Uh, we're going to read a quick reference, and it will be not not too unknown to us, like people will go, oh, I kind of know that story as soon as we look at it, okay, to get us started with this whole thing. It's Matthew 6, beginning in 14, it's just 14, 15, and it says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you, but if you do not forgive men their trespasses, your Father will not forgive your transgressions. The first and foremost important reaction to any slight or injury is what? It's on the page, if you don't look, you can just guess. Somebody hurts you, somebody slights you, what do you do? Forgive. Forgive, right? The first and foremost thing you got to do is forgive. Before anything else, the first thing you want to do is forgive. We were at a softball game many years ago. I was coaching a softball game. The person who was pitching that game be- behaved very, very badly, uh, left the game, went out, punched a tree, spewed some cuss words, whatever, and afterwards I went over and I was, was going to tell them they couldn't play anymore unless they could get that under control. And, the first, and they said, will you please, please, please forgive me? And I said, well, I forgave you the moment it started. And I realized that was actually true. The first reaction is forgiveness, which means if your first reaction is to get upset, you missed the first reaction. You didn't do the first thing, okay? That being said, uh, that, that, while that is a preemptive solution to controlling your anger, uh, forgiveness does not equal doing nothing, okay? So you want to forgive, that's good. But if you just forgive and you just keep forgiving and you forgive again and you forgive again, while all those forgivenesses are good things, you know what's happening there, right? You're not helping the person get better. You're not confronting the bad behavior. You're not feeling any better about it. Nothing constructive is actually being done, okay? So, in fact, forgiving people and ignoring the offense is usually also a sin. And that's the problem. We don't want to sin against God, okay? So that, so that brings us to anger, Anger, that word that you see there is pronounced orge. That's a four-letter Greek word, orge. Uh, It's the word where we get our word orgy from, which is basically like a sex party, right? Which don't have anything to do with that, but the bottom line is it's the same word. It's It's heightened emotion. Really, it means emotional reaction involving energy to do something, but not necessarily to act angry. See, so you're going to go, boom, I've got to do something, and now... In the world, what most people do is they act angry. Slam the pots and pans, slam the door, raise your voice, stomp your foot, say something mean, right? Because you have all this energy, you don't know what to do with it. And so you need to learn to do something else with it. That energy is not bad. God has it. Jesus had it. It's not bad. It's not a sin. And it can be very constructive. It can get things done, right? I was trying to change the flat tire on my car. I banged my shin. I couldn't get the bolt off. After I banged my shin... I got the bolt off because I was stronger because I was mad because I had adrenaline in my, in my blood, right? I went out, um, 
hitting baseballs at the baseball batting cages. And I hit the first couple balls, no problem. And then a ball came in. I was in a 92-mile-an-hour speed pitch. A ball came in hit me in the thigh. And I got a really big, bad bruise. After that, I hit eight balls, all home runs. Okay, That energy is not, I mean, they weren't literally, but they looked like home runs, right, because I was in a batting cage. They were out high over the net. And so the point is, that energy has a value to it, but it does not have to be destructive. We tell people, don't be angry. So you do something wrong to them, so don't be angry. Please don't be mad at me, right? You don't get to do that. Because anger is a natural response. It is that word orge. It is a natural response that happens when something happens that you don't like, right? The question is not whether or not you're going to be angry. It's whether or not you're going to be acting angry or usually maybe breaking out in some bad way, okay? So first of all, these are the angry times that we see in Scripture. God-given personal rights are threatened or violated. That's the first one. And the second one is personal convictions are being violated or threatened. Okay? So it's two different things. But those are times where people get angry. So we look first at Jesus. Angry Jesus, I call this. Anybody ever seen Angry Jesus? Does anybody know the story of Angry Jesus? Didn't he get angry the disciples were falling asleep? Yeah, I wouldn't use the word anger there, but yeah, he did get very—he get frustrated. The word anger is not in the text. Say it again. Is it rebuking Jesus? Yeah, rebuking Jesus. Well, it's yeah, that's the one we're looking at. Okay, so it's Mark two twenty-seven. Um, Mark two twenty-seven is where this story is. All right. Through 3 6. So it's, uh, it's about nine verses. He was saying to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Consequently, the Son of, the Ma- Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. Then he entered again into a synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. They were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath in order that they might accuse him. So this is a different story than the one you're thinking of. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Rise and come forward. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to harm, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent, and after looking around at them with anger, after looking around at them with anger, so he, was, he had anger in him, it doesn't say he was angry at them, but he had anger in him about what was going on there, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand, he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately began taking counsel with the Herodians against him. Those two guys were kind of like enemies a little bit, and now they're working together to try to find a way to get rid of Jesus. It says they were taking counsel against him as to how they might destroy him. Why was Jesus angry in this text? Not a rhetorical question. Why did he get mad? Because um, he noticed that nobody tried anything. Like they, didn't, like they First of all, they, they didn't approach him. He was coming to them. The, their hearts were hardened. So basically the idea is like um, they didn't care about him or what God could do. And they to make him angry because mm-hmm. um, I mean this this man didn't even have a chance. You know, they they knew what God could do. They they knew um, you know what was right and they chose not to. Okay. So they were willfully choosing that. They were hardened of heart, you use that phrase hardened of heart. They were not coming to Jesus. They were not recognizing his position, his authority. And I don't think he was claiming his authority. But they, they were literally taking away any ability of that man to get healed in that moment by their own 
beliefs. You can't heal him on the Sabbath. Even though they'll haul an ox out of the ditch, right? They'll bandage a goat, but they won't heal a man with a crippled hand on the Sabbath. That's crazy. So let me ask you this. You don't have, it's a rhetorical question. I want you to think about it for a second. When were you angry last? You don't have to tell me. But when were you angry last? Take a number. Probably pretty recently. We're looking for just the last example. Was a right or conviction being violated when you got angry? Think about it yourself. Don't tell me out loud. When that happened, was, your, was there really a right, a God-given right, or a conviction, a belief that something you truly believe in God that was being violated that was that causing you to be angry? And then the question is, how did you react? Just think about it in your own story. When was the last time you were angry? Was it a right or a conviction that was being violated? And then how did you react? Okay? So the Bible says uh, we mustn't sin in anger. And that references Ephesians 4. So if you're following along in your Bibles or just taking notes, go grab that reference right there. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath, remember that's violent opposition, and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Right? Put it away. Be done with it. It's bitterness. Wrath is violent opposition. Right? Anger, that's orge. Clamor. That's you, you getting loud because things aren't going your way. Slander, that's you talking bad about somebody because they didn't do what they were supposed to do. Right? It doesn't matter if they didn't do what they were supposed to do or if they did do it, if you're talking bad about them, it's still slander. And put it all away. And all malice, which is when you have dark feelings in your heart towards somebody and you're acting it out or thinking about acting it out. Right? There are two ways to sin in your anger. Uh, essentially, you can clam up or you can blow up. Jason, you ever clam up? You ever do that? Somebody made you mad and you just didn't say anything? I bet. How about you, Caitlin? You ever clam up? I bet. How about you, Josh? You ever blow up? <laughs> Ever. Yeah, it's hard to say no to that, isn't it? There's two ways that we can sin in our anger is to clam up or blow up, either one. People think clamming up, that's kind of the good way. Well, let's talk about that for a second. The style of dealing with anger, there's this emotive energy in you. You're created to have this energy when something went offended your convictions or offended your personal rights, right? You're created to have that energy and you clam up, you tamp it down, you push it down, you don't do anything. So we hold a grudge or even we let it go, but we react differently because we haven't dealt with it in the most important place, which is inside of us. So now it changes who you are because you clammed up, right? So you clenched down on it. If you ever been uh, injured and like somebody said, well, just you know, tense up, this is going to hurt, and you tense up, okay, right? In the Old West, they give you like a piece of leather to bite down on. After that, after it hurts, then what do you have to do? You have to let go, right? Because you tensed up for the pain, and you have to just let your muscles relax a little bit. Well, people have been known to strain a muscle. People, you know, it's not easy to let go after you clam up. And that's what happens. Something is changing inside you when you clam up and don't do something about what you felt like you needed to do something about. This clamming up can last years, even lifetimes. Somebody did something to you when you were a kid. Somebody did something when you were a teenager, right? 
A lot of the guys that go and serve in the military, they go in the military and they'll have a horrific event happen to them and they get PTSD. Then they go into counseling and what they find out was it didn't start in the military. Something happened to them years or decades before and they had clammed up on that and now they just couldn't hold it anymore. They just couldn't hold it back anymore. And now it's, just, it's all sloppy and it's all messy and they're all messed up and they're trying to figure out a way to live under all that pressure. You cannot clam up you really shouldn't do it at all, but you definitely can't do it for days, weeks, months, or years because the longer you do it, the more messed up other things are going to get. Um, this clamming up can invade relationships that has nothing to do with the offender. So RJ does something to me, I clam up, right? Then I go home. My wife says something, and it's not offensive really at all. She doesn't mean anything by it, but I mishear her or I'm thinking something completely different of it because of what happened between me and RJ, and now I'll, my clamming up is causing a problem between us, right? You ever get a text from somebody and they say something and you're like, oh, that's fine. Then somebody else texts you and you're like, oh, that's not fine. That's kind of nasty. The next person texts you and you're thinking, wait, is that nasty or not? Because each one is coloring the next. And your encounters with different people color different, make you think different ways about your new encounters. So you cannot clam up, you can't hold it in, that's a sin against God because it's changing who you are. It becomes like a new master, essentially. And this can turn into a whole bunch of things that are very bad. Examples are diminished self-esteem. You start to think bad things about yourself. People with diminished self-esteem make bad decisions. They make bad decisions they're eating and they're sleeping and their entertainment choices, how they handle money. So because they're struggling with self-esteem, they're trying to find that self-esteem in other areas. So clamming up can affect your self-esteem. And, it, and again, it can last for days, weeks, months, or years, or even a lifetime. Right? It can, it can cause depression. Sociologists and psychologists understand this, that clamming up can cause depression, which then can lead to all forms of destructive behavior. You basically go, oh, I'm not going to deal with this. And then you go over here and... You can't, you can't get excited about stuff. You can't let your emotions run. You can't really jump at whatever comes up next because that thing that you've clammed up on is right there like a raging beast and you've got it in a cage and if you go over here and you get excited, that thing might come out. And so you become unable to deal with new situations and you face depression because your emotions are out of whack. And then the, you can have a critical nature or a judgmental nature. So in other words, because you clammed up over here, somebody else does something, and you go, oh, it's going to happen again, or oh, that's wrong, right? And so you're real quick to judge, or real quick to be critical of somebody because you got hurt before and you're still carrying around that hurt. And that can lead to all kinds of disassociative behavior, which means people trying to get away from people. So most people are isolating. They're people who clam up. And they go, well, I don't need anybody. I'm just going to go back here and watch my TV, read my books, play my games, whatever I'm going to do. I don't need anybody. Mom, don't talk to me. Dad, don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. Just nobody talk to me. I'm fine back here. Right? But that's not humanity. That's not what people were made to be. So they're, they're isolating because they clammed up so much and they're afraid. Oh, well, and they're facing diminished self-esteem or depression or critical nature. Now, it's not the only way you can get to those things, but it's a primary path. Okay? The other one is the blow-up. Now, to blow up is to mix good anger with a vengeance motive. So you say something like, you don't know what you're talking about. Or get the heck away from me. I don't want to hear from you. Or you go slam things around so they'll know that you're mad. I want them to know I'm mad. So you slam some things around, right? 
that kind of thing. Or you answer them with a snotty phrase. Basically, you're mixing your anger, that anger energy is not necessarily bad, with a motive of vengeance. It's something that's going to get it back at them or at whoever. So this is a way of getting even by a physical abuse or acting out. Other examples are using your words, put-downs, threats, name-calling, yelling, temper tantrums, sarcasm, even hostile, silent treatment. I'm not going to talk to them anymore. Right? By the way, anytime you say you're not going to talk to them anymore, you've basically committed the sin of murder. It's pretty bad. Right? Because we are we're talking people and your mouth is made for encouragement, and now you're refusing it to use for to use it for what you are because you're angry at that person and you basically committed the sin of murder straight off the Ten Commandments. Anger in your heart toward that person. Can't hold on to it. So that's the easy ways to sin in anger is either to uh, blow up or to clam up. The danger here, uh, be very, very aware of the danger of the vengeance and bitterness motive. Um, Hebrews 12.5, I'm going kind of fast on the verses because we do have a, a, a time frame here. Hebrews 12.5, I'll read four. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by Him. So in other words, you're gonna, you're gonna, bad things are going to happen, and you're going to have to decide how you respond to those things. And you don't want to take it lightly. You don't want to just blow up or clam up. You need to follow the right processes, if you will. And then Romans 12, Romans 12, 17 to 19. We know this one. In fact, there was one phrase in here that will really ring obvious, I think. Um, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You can't take God's place in your own salvation. You can't take God's place in guiding your own life. And you cannot take God's place in bringing about vengeance. The Bible in Leviticus there, which I won't flip to and read those verses, is very clear. The law says vengeance is not an option. Two things that are not meant to be a part of your anger then are clamming up and blowing up. Can't do it. Ephesians 4.26 Flipping to Ephesians 4.26. By now, if you're, if you're getting something out of this, you're thinking, man, it's so good I get to take this handout home with me when I go home. Okay. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. That's Ephesians 4.26. So the question is, here we go, not rhetorical. We're, we're doing this together. Is it proper to be angry? Yeah. Say it again? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. In fact, when the Bible uses a commanding tone, it says, be angry. It doesn't say, be angry sometimes, right? Uh, has anybody seen uh, Avengers Marvel? He says, you know, now would be a really good time to bring out the Hulk. And he says, that's my secret. Now I'm angry. I'm always angry, right? You do realize that because of the fact that people will not accept Jesus, because of the fact that God is holding back his judgment, 
so that people have a chance to accept Jesus. Because of sin in the world, people are dying. Our relatives, our loved ones, we're facing cancer, we're facing job wrecks, we're facing relationship struggles, we're facing communication struggles. We've got wars right now. People out there in war are actually going on in the world. Thousands of people will die today in war. All over the world, Christians will be persecuted. A Christian will have their body flayed or their fingernails pulled today in the world. That's wrong. I'm angry. Babies will die in the womb. Abortions are still happening by the thousands. Babies will be born with Down syndrome and live their whole lives without being able to adequately express their emotions or under understand like uh, heightened sensations. Right? They overwhelm them. All of that is wrong. We have every reason to be angry about those things. The question is, what are you going to do about it? And the answer is in the gospel and in the Bible. Right? So we deliver the gospel to a lost and dying world. And if you're not angry, you're missing out on a lot of energy that you could be using to deliver the truth. Right? And we're supposed to be. Like, when somebody says, I don't want to believe in Jesus, that should make you mad. It should make you angry. Right? Now, what do you do when you're angry? You don't get mad at them. Right? You don't cuss them out or behave badly. You don't do any of those kinds of things. And you don't clam up about it. You take it to the Lord and you figure out what it is that God wants you to do next, which should be share the gospel elsewhere or teach the Bible elsewhere. So what is inappropriate handling of anger called? When someone has, uh, and this goes to Ephesians 4.26, we just read it, I'll read it again real quick. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. What is inappropriate of handling of anger called in that verse? Very simple. Sunday school answer. Be angry, but do not sin in your anger. If you handle your anger inappropriately, that's when it becomes sin. And the two primary ways to handle your anger, anger inappropriately are clamming up and blowing up. That's the two primary ways of mishandling. In fact, if you can find another, I would be surprised. Those are, now, blowing up can take a lot of forms, and clamming up can take a lot of forms. But basically, all the sinful anger handling is in those two titles. What is inappropriate handling of anger called? Sin. Do you want to sin against God? Do you know who God is? <laughs> I mean, come on, let's be serious, shall we? We don't want to sin against God. We want to be on God's side. Anger itself is neutral. Valid anger can be a sign that something constructive can come out of a situation. Here's what you need to start doing. Somebody does something, for whatever reason, it rubs you the wrong way. Instead of going, okay, now I'm going to clam up or blow up, you say, that's my sign. A flag just went up. A light just came on. Here's my chance right now in this moment. Something good can come out of this moment. We can make a change here. A person can be redirected, right? The third time you tell your kid to do something and they didn't do it, you should have an emotive energy. Why? Because you love your kid? Because you know your kid needs to respect their parents and honor and obey, right? Because that's sin against God when they don't do that. So you should have emotive energy. However, if you then blow up at your kid, you've sinned in your anger. If you clam up and say, oh, waste cause, you know, it's worthless, lost cause, waste of time. Right? And you go just do it yourself and you're mad about it, but you don't actually do anything. You've missed the opportunity to make the world a better place, to learn, to lead your kid in the right direction, etc. And you can apply those same standards to everywhere. Once you feel that energy, 
recognize that is an opportunity to change the world for the better. Okay? And that anger is not a bad thing. It is actually a neutral thing. A sign, if you will. Okay? One case to watch out for, often we get angry when a personal right that was violated was not a valid right at all. Okay? So remember we started out with personal rights, convictions, right, being violated. Sometimes we think we have a personal right when in reality it's not really your right. Okay? So be very careful about that because otherwise you'll wind up with emotive energy that's anger that, that is about something that you really don't have a right to be angry about. It's not, not going to produce anything good. So then if you, you're like, I, your personal pet peeves are a good example of this. Okay? So for example, um, if you can't stand it when somebody slurps through a straw, you don't have a right to not hear somebody slurping through a straw. If you can't stand it when somebody chews their food, you don't have a right to not hear people chew their food. That's not written in the Bible anywhere. It's not a law. I mean, there's a lot of laws that are just dumb and they don't have anything to do with God's word or wisdom in any way. But the bottom line is, there's nowhere in the world that says you have a right to not deal with those things. Somebody expresses their opinion. They say, I hate God. I don't want nothing to do with God. Right? They have a right to free speech under our government. You can excuse yourself. If you're in a public forum, you do not have a right to not hear what they are saying. You cannot shut them up. You don't get to punch them in the face. You don't get to be snotty back to them. You don't get to walk out the parking lot and slash their tires because you don't have a right to stop them from saying what they want to say just the same as they don't have a right to stop you from saying what you want to say in a public forum. Now, if you're not in a public forum, it's a private place, then somebody controls the rights in that place. Right? So then they get to say what can be said and what cannot. You go to a friend's house and it's their house and they want to say, they want to use the Lord's name in vain, use the F word a lot, whatever. You don't have a right to tell them, no, it's their house. You can say, I would appreciate it if you wouldn't do that around me. And then if they say, I don't care, it's my house, I'm going to do whatever I want, then you can leave. You have a right to leave. And if they cuss you out on the way out the door, then you probably have a right to be upset because you have a right to leave and they're trying to get you to not leave and you have a right to be upset and you have to decide how you're going to handle it. Okay? So often we get angry when a personal right that was violated was not really a valid right at all. And sometimes it's based on selfish demands, debatable personal preferences, perfectionistic standards, where I want them to do exactly what I want them to do, exactly when I want them to do it, personal convictions wrongly applied. For example, I had a lady come to me one time and insist that I needed to preach a sermon that said that drinking is a sin and should have nothing to do with alcohol, etc., to which I said, as I'm sure you would figure, no, I won't do that because that's not what the Bible says. Okay. Now it does say avoid any excess. It says not to use it in like uh, recreation settings. Like there's all the reasons that most people drink are disallowed, right? In the Bible, and being drunk is definitely disallowed. Being out of control in any way with it is definitely disallowed. But to just stand up and preach a sermon flat out against alcohol would not be right. That was her personal. Conviction wrongly applied. I won't preach a sermon against smoking for the same reason. I personally believe that smoking is wrong and that nobody, I don't think anyone should smoke or vape, right? I personally believe that. But that's my personal conviction and I interpret it that out of the text where it says your body is a temple and you should treat it like a temple, right? So I think, I think you should do that. 
but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get mad at you if you don't do that, or mad at the choice if you don't do that, because it's a personal conviction, right? So be careful about applying your per- personal convictions. This type of anger is not pursued with an offender, since there is in fact no valid offender. Somebody does something you don't agree with, you don't get to go after them. In fact, you shouldn't really be going out of your way to tell them that you don't agree. Now, if they ask you to agree, you shouldn't lie to them. But you shouldn't go out of your way to tell them that you don't agree because they're not, they've not offended you. right? They've made their own choice, which they were allowed to make. It dis- dis- you disagree with it? Fine. But it doesn't mean you have to go over there and tell them you disagree with it. Right? There's no right for you to tell everybody that you disagree with that you disagree with them. That's not a personal right. Right? Okay. So then how do we deal with it and make sure that we don't fall on these things? We're almost through, but this is a process, so we definitely want to see it. Step one, after checking your anger to make sure that it's legitimate, meaning it was not based on your own personal perfectionistic standards or debatable personal preferences or because they violated some personal right that you don't actually have, right? So you figured out, okay, it is a violation of my convictions or of my personal rights, okay? Then here's some things you do. Number one, you confront your offender if possible, and at the same time, you're verbalizing your angry feelings. So you go to them and you say, I feel what you did caused me to feel, or I feel what you did broke my personal conviction, I feel that's a sin, right? And, I, and you say you're a Christian, so we shouldn't be doing that, right? So you use, you verbalize the angry feelings that you're feeling and you confront the offender if possible. Not talk to somebody else about them, but confront that person. Otherwise, if you're unwilling to confront them, then you become just about as guilty as they are. Okay? Because you basically said to them, it's okay to do what you did. They told you what they did, You got mad about it, but you clammed up, didn't say anything. Now, you basically told them it was okay. Silence is the same as approval when somebody wants to do something. It's important to stand up for yourself and for what you believe is right as long as you do so without feelings of vengeance or getting even. So in other words, you can go to them and say, look, that's not right. I'm not going to tolerate it. And they're going to say to you, what do you mean? You're going to punch me? You're going to hurt me? No, I'm not saying, I'm just telling you, I don't want anything to do with that. I totally disagree with that. It hurts me internally. I'm angry. I disagree. God wouldn't want it. You know, whatever, whatever feelings that you need to express. But at the same time, you don't have any vengeance. You're not trying to put them in their place. You're not trying to make them feel small, right? It's nothing like that. Um, verbalizing is always stating your feelings using phrases like I feel, I felt, not you did, you are. You can feel that they're a very bad person, but you shouldn't go tell them that they're a very bad person. Right? That's right. Because we are very bad people too. In different ways. Right? So everybody's got their their aches, their hurts, their mistakes. Uh, Most people are, when they're not in control, they're motivated by evil spirits. Those are our enemies. The motivations are our enemies, not the people. So you don't go and tell them how bad they are, but you can tell them how bad you feel about what happened, if that makes any sense. Consider how you would express your feelings to or with God. So if you were going to God and God did something you didn't like, would you go say, God, you're a bad God? Or would you say, God, I'm hurting. God, I need your help. You know, God would... You know, would you help me see how this makes any sense, right? You wouldn't accuse God. You'd be wise to tell him how you feel, not how mean he is, okay? Side note about the notes. 
Sometimes when we cannot confront directly, writing out our feelings helps. So let's say you just don't have access to the person who has offended you. That's a good place for journaling. It's a good place for a diary. It's a good place. You can write a letter to that person that you're never going to give them, right? Maybe they're not available. Maybe they died, right? Or they're out of country. You've lost contact. They said, don't ever talk to me again, whatever. And they really hurt you. You can write a letter as if you're writing it to that person. That's the only one of the few ways that you're going to get away from the clam up negative effects. If you don't do something to get those emotions expressed, then they're going to be rattling around inside there and they're going to mess with you in a lot of those other ways that you don't want. Okay? Now, you can later show them what you wrote or throw it away. Right? You don't have to do it. If you realize that it's not going to be constructive in any way, you can just throw it away. Yes, sir? It's funny you said that because I actually, that was one of the biggest things when I was going through counseling when I was in high school that really helped me out was writing stuff down. Yep. About a month ago, I found one of my old notebooks wow. from high school. Yeah, and it had a, basically a letter to one of my friends that I found out was doing things that they told me they weren't doing. Basically, flat out lied to me. Never told them. Never gave it to them. Never actually talked to them again. Yeah. I found that. I found it in that notebook. And I, that it's funny you're talking about that because it, it's crazy how much that really does help, though. Yep. Because it gets it off your chest. So in the Bible, then, you can find lots of examples of that very thing in the Psalms. David wrote his feelings in his life with God. Uh, He wrote uh, like he was writing to other people. He wrote about events that happened, about people who hurt him, how he was attacked, how he was feeling. That's a lot of that. And And then that made it into Scripture. You want to commit to God, then, any feelings of getting even. So when you go to confront that person, you want to say to God, okay, God, I'm not going to hurt them. It's not about that, right? By the time you start spewing out the corrections and start talking to them about how you feel and trying to get it out in the open and confront them or whatever, you you definitely don't want to be doing that to try to make that other person feel bad. If nothing else, because as soon as they get that sense, they're going to feel bad, and then they're going to have emotive energy and it can turn into a very dark situation, right? Them coming back at you, you come back at them, relationships are damaged, possibly destroyed. So sometimes forgiving someone, especially someone who isn't sorry, feels like you are ignoring yourselves, yourself and your feelings. So you go, well, I'm going to let that go, right? You might be write a letter to them because you can't talk to them about it or whatever, and you're going to let it go, and you feel like because you forgave them, you're ignoring yourself and your feelings, and that's not the case, God does not want you to do that. God does not want you to ignore yourself and your feelings. He wants you to constructively convey them to try to make the world a better place and use them for what they're supposed to be used for. God has promised to deal with offenders in the way he feels is best. So don't play God. Get out of the way so that he can do what must be done. So you you go to them and they don't hear it, right? And then you... You're trying to express your feelings, and they're coming back at you with, you know, venom. And finally, you go, okay, it's clear this is not working. You know, I'm sorry, I tried. Let it. We'll let it go, right? And then you go away. You can trust that you're leaving them in the hands of God. He will justly manage the situation, and that may be vengeance. Okay, um, he may bring some pretty bad wrath on that person if they if you tried to correct them and they wouldn't. I had a man who came to me and he was very venomous, very mean to me. And when I was a young Christian trying to serve the Lord and he's yelling at me, cussing me out. And uh, he didn't use very many cuss words, but 
a couple of the more like people wouldn't even think are cuss words maybe today. But um, and while I was listening to him, I knew he was wrong, and I just said, "Lord, correct him. Lord, correct him." I say, if you, you know, there's nothing I can do. This is a senior, he's a person been a Christian forty years, whatever. I said, "Lord, correct him," and I said, "But if I'm wrong, Lord, then correct me." And I went away from there, and God comforted me in that I was right, and I continued doing what I was doing, and that person got cancer and, and might have died from it. And then uh, the Lord convicted me that I needed to pray for that person, and I prayed for that person. In fact, I fasted about 24 hours and prayed overnight one night, and the next day we heard that they were miraculously healed. And so God will take care of you, and God will take care of those who hurt you, don't worry about that. So you're not giving it up just by saying I'm not going to hurt them back. You're not doing. You're putting them in a position where God's going to take care of them, and He can do a lot more than you can do anyway. So forgive the offender. Um, by the choice of my will, not my feelings, I choose not to bring up these issues to the offender again. They—that's the issues. They are dead. I will not bring them up to others in the form of gossip either. Nor will I bring them up in my own meditations. I can remember what happened, but I will not brood over the past. If my thoughts begin to focus on those past hurts, I will stop them and replace them with positive thoughts about the good things in my present life. If the person who offended me has repented, I will look for ways to eventually rebuild a friendship. If not, I will treat him as a forgiven person, even if my feelings send contrary messages. So even if, no matter how many times you have to do it, you just keep telling yourself these things over and over again and, and choosing to forgive them. I will choose to be loyal to my faith and stand by my choices to forgive, the hurts may come back from time to time for many months, but I will not act on my feelings at those moments. Instead, I will reaffirm my choice to forgive, even if I have to do it every day for a long time. My feelings will eventually catch up with my faith, and my hurts will heal in time. James 5.16 is a verse. You can go and read that. Um, but he is talking about another method of healing there. Um, that's different from the way people normally stuff their emotions down. And then Leviticus 19.17, I mentioned before, and it says, rebuke your neighbor. And what does that mean uh, to us as far as resolving valid anger? And then what do you do with your anger? Here is the simple process on the very last slide, and we're through. Check it. Is it legitimate? Verbalize it. Put it into words, Right? Commit the offender to God. So you go and explain to them, try to make try to get it worked out, right? Try to make a connection, but if they won't hear it, then you commit the offender to God and you personally forgive. Now I'm suggesting that you do that now and that you do it every time from now on that someone rightly hurts you. When it's real hurt. Okay? If you try to use this process and it's not a real hurt, you're gonna have a hard time. In verbalizing it, you're gonna go. Well, they made a noise when I was trying to have a quiet time. That's not right. I'm offended. I'm going to go and explain to them how they made a noise when I'm having a quiet time. Right. See what I'm saying? As, when you try to verbalize, you're going to realize how silly it sounds. And you're going to let it, you're going to realize you can't do that. You're not angry over that reason. You got something? Did you make it known that you were going to have that quiet time before well, that would be, yeah. So if you went and asked, like, perfect example, you went and asked somebody, say, hey, can you be quiet for like 15 minutes? I need to go pray, have a quiet time, whatever. And I'm going to be right over here. And if you make this noise, it's going to bother. And they say, yes, I'll, I'll be quiet. And then they didn't. Now we're, we're back. We can be offended, right? Because they made us a promise that they didn't keep. Not keeping a promise, that's a breach of conviction. 
You said you would do it. You didn't do it. Now you can be offended. And you will feel that energy and you follow this process. You'll check it. Yeah, I have a reason to be upset. He promised me he was going to do it and he didn't do it. Now you can verbalize it. I feel like you broke your promise to me. Right? You go talk to them. Oh, I hear what you're saying, man, but I got to get done what I got to get done. I don't really care about your quiet time. But yes, well, then you shouldn't have promised me. Yeah, whatever. I don't care. You know. Okay, now you commit the offender to God, forgive them, and move on. Yes, sir? At that point, you're probably not upset about, so much about the quiet time being violated, but more about the promise being violated. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. So once they've made a promise, it changes everything. Okay, so you... That, that little slide there, forgive the offender slide, that's a thing you could cut that out. You could put that in your wallet or in your purse. It's a useful thing, especially if you feel like someone has hurt you. You may need to forgive them to make the mental choice of forgiving them over and over and over again. You cannot dwell on it. You cannot bring it up in your private time between you and God. If, you, if, you, if it's coming up in your head again all the time, you've really not forgiven it. You're still working on forgiving it. And so you need to know each time it comes up to how to deal with it. Forgive it. Put it away. Verbalize it. If you can't do anything constructive by talking to that person, then you can write something, you know, and then you may never give it to them, but you get those emotions out, verbalized, and then forgive them and move on. Okay? No clamming up. No blowing up. But almost anything else would be okay. All right? And you can go and explain it to them, and you might... Write them a letter if you can't talk to them in person. Some people do that. I'm not sure about sending a text. I think it's a little cold, but you could do that if you have to. But if you do it, do it in a godly way. All right? So I'm going to pray for us in closing, and then we do have cookies and snack cakes and punch that actually got made this week that's in the cafeteria. And uh, I would ask you to join me briefly for um, snacking on sweets and spending a little time together. All right? Let's do that. Father in heaven, I thank you so much that you're a God who made us a complex creation. The truth is that uh, scientists and doctors, they, they really don't understand where these energies inside a person come from. It's not like uh, the cellular level, our liver releases something or whatever, and all of a sudden we have this emotive energy. We do understand adrenaline, and we understand some of the, the hormones and stuff and like that, but there is a, an energy that comes up inside a person that's sort of spiritual, and it can't really be explained by science. Um, and so you've made us incredible. You've made us complex. You've taught us then through your word uh, how to handle when our complexity um, could get us in trouble, could get out of control, could ruin relationships, could cause depression, could hurt people. And I thank you for um, maybe helping us make it a little simple as we talk about how to handle anger constructively. And also, I think it's wise for us to realize that a lot of times um, people just automatically equate any energy that rises up inside them when somebody does something as anger. And it, that's, that's oversimplification too. It's really energy. That's what it is. And we put a name on it called anger and we act stupid. Um, and people have a right to act stupid when they're angry. And that's just not so. We realize it's just not so. Lord, we know we're called on to not sin in our anger. Please help us. Please help us be angry. Please help us realize that the things that are going on in this world that are just not right are just not right and we don't have to look the other way. We can do whatever we can do to confront. We can write letters to our congressmen. Uh, we, can, we can make phone calls. Uh, and they may not want to hear from us, but the truth is they don't really have a choice. <laughs> and so we can do things, Lord, and it's okay for us to express the feelings that we're having and to not sin in our anger, to clam up, 
not send our anger to blow up, but to make the world a better place every time that flag goes up. Help us, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much.